So week three of selfless, and um, what I was, was interesting, I think I'll, I'll share with you, is that you know, we, we have outlines, we go through it ahead of time, um, and actually, this week's outline, um, it, it wasn't as resonating to me, and I thought there was something else that I was supposed to share this morning about selfless, so that's what I'm going to share with you this morning, um, and what I call it is letting go of the bomb shelters in our lives. Uh, and it, we're gonna, it's going to be a little unusual today because we're going to show, thanks to Chris's help there, Chris Cam's help, we're going to show a little clip um, later on here um, of a, a, a 1961 Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> You're like, yay, I don't have to listen to Dave for 10 minutes. But it's, um, you'll see why. Um, so let's, we'll get right into it. Uh, in praying and, and preparing for this message this morning, I started with, thinking about what, what is this all about um, when we say selfless. And I think at the heart of Christianity um, and following Christ, what it really, uh, you've heard this before, and you will probably only hear it in Christian circles, is this notion of dying to self. And what does that mean is to really die to your own personal self-interest and to look outward and look outward at loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, which is really what a lot of this series is about, is loving your neighbor as yourself. And that comes, as we know, in the Gospels, but the one I pulled out here is Mark 12, 31, chapter 12, 31, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then it continues on in many aspects, many times in the New Testament, as to what does it mean to truly follow Christ and to live that selfless life. And in Luke chapter 9, 23, Jesus is talking, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. And, and then you wonder, what does that mean to take up my cross daily? Um, and that's what we're talking about. It's really dying to yourself. Uh, Jesus being crucified on the cross means we, were di- we die with him on that cross. And we are to follow him and to let him live in us every day. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 this is exactly what Paul's saying. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Meaning the, the, the sort of sinful nature, the, just the flesh that, that we're born with dies, but Jesus lives in us. And that, that life, that, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. To me, the heart of this series is right there is that's what it means to die to self, being selfless and being filled with Christ and living our lives as Christ followers, as God intended. So that is all, I think, fine and relatively easy to do until things get tough in your life. And what I mean by that is if you're comfortable, you have enough food to eat, and you feel safe, you have a safe home, a place to live, it, it feels okay to love other people because I took care of home base. But it gets especially tough in those moments when even home base is threatened. And it's in those moments when, when the going gets tough, I think as humans, it's hard to be selfless. Because I think you've heard this many times before. People say, well, take care of family first. 
take care of yourself first, and then go out and help the world. But you know what? I don't know if that's what Christ says. I don't know if it's always about just taking care of home base. Remember, Jesus himself said many times when he called his disciples, they dropped their nets. James and John left their father, and they, they went and followed Jesus. There was a man, I remember, in the, in the Bible who says, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I got to go bury my, my father. And he's like, follow me. Leave your family. Follow me. That's hard. That's super hard, right? If we really internalize that, that's really hard. And I think that becomes no more real than what happened to us in January 2018. At 8.07 a.m., I don't know where you were. I remember this so clearly, where we were, and this missile alert comes in, right? Especially at a time when there's all this tension between the president and Kim Jong-un that you see this missile, you know, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii seeking me to show this is not a drill. In those moments, in that few moments, I got to tell you, all I could think about is, what is my family going to do? I was not thinking about my neighbors. I wasn't thinking about the people across the street. In fact, as you guys may know, our house has an Ohana unit, and we have friends who are living there. I wasn't even thinking about Kathleen guys at the time. And then they texted us like, what are you guys going to do? And I was like, oh, yeah, what are we going to do? It's the world we live in. In fact, back starting in the Cold War in the 60s, this was a very real concern for a lot of Americans. Tensions were heightened. The, 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 the threat of a, of a nuclear missile wiping out civilization was a very real threat. And today it still exists. Sinful humans. And so what do we do? What is our reaction? We build a bomb shelter. In the 60s, I think this was pretty common uh, that people would build bomb shelters and it wasn't like, what, you know? I don't know how many people in Hawaii have bomb shelters today. There's a company online called Atlas uh, Bomb Shelters and they build like a $20,000 bomb shelter if you want. <clears throat> and there are friends that I know and, and people that I know that <clears throat> they're ready for Armageddon Day, right? They've got way pl- you know, plenty of supplies at home beyond Hurricane Day. They're gonna last, it's going to last two weeks. <clears throat> um, fortif- you know, they know how exactly they're going to fortify their homes. They have weapons. You know, what are the weapons for? Because once people in the neighborhood know that you have supplies and you have that PV panels that's going to power your home, and you have running water and all this stuff, guess what's going to happen? And in the Twilight Zone episode on September 29, 1961, there is a classic, classic, it's, it's 24 minutes long. Uh, we're not going to go through all 24 minutes today. If you have Netflix, it's on Netflix. It's, episode, it's season three, episode three is how they list it. Um, and we're going to show about not 10 minutes of the clip. And the reason why I wanted to do this, I wanted to give you a sense of, the, of human nature. And how do you be selfless in a situation where pretty much the world is coming to an end? What's happening here is these are neighbors who were just celebrating uh, their, their friend's birthday party. And uh, these are, they've been neighbors for 20 years. <clears throat> 
just when dinner's done and they celebrate their friend's birthday, uh, a, a message comes on the radio or the television that, uh, called Con- Conrad, I guess they used to call it, but uh, a radio message that says uh, they've detected these unidentified objects in the sky that are hurling towards the United States. And they're not sure if it's ballistic missiles, but if you have a, a bomb shelter, we recommend that you go there right away. And for those of you, you know, if you don't, I guess just huddle and, and you know, protect yourself, get supplies, um, and, and store it. And the backstory is this one doctor <clears throat> who is among the, the, the group of neighbors, he's been building this bomb shelter, and everyone's kind of making fun of him, like, you know, why are you building this bomb shelter? That's crazy. And the day has come now that they need this bomb shelter. And so what happens is the friends are at the doctor's home, and they scatter and now they're, trying to, they're scrambling to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, and so what you see here is images of some of the uh, pictures of the friends who are gathering and, and, and doing this. So, sorry, I should have queued that up. Can you slam the door right in my face? Well, go back. I can't. Jerry, ask him again. Let's go. Jerry, ask him again. I'll tell you what we ought to do. We ought to find one basement to go to work on that. Pool all of our stuff, food, water, everything. I tell you, it just isn't fair. He's down there in a bomb shelter, perfectly safe, while our kids have to sit around and wait for a bomb to drop. Why don't we just go down to his basement and break down the door? Frank, Frank, wait a minute, Frank! Frank, wait a minute! We can't all fit in that bomb shelter. We'd be crazy to even try. Why don't we pick out one family? Draw lots of something. What difference would it make? I keep telling you, he won't let anybody in. Well, we, we could all go down there and tell him he's got the whole street against him. We could do that. What good would it do? I keep telling you, even if you'll break down the door, we can't all fit in that bomb shelter. We'd be killing everybody for no reason. You know, it saves the life of even one of my kids. I call that good reason. Jerry, Jerry, you know him better than any of us. You're his best friend. Go down there again. Talk to him. Plead with him. Tell him to pick out one family. We'll, we'll draw lots or, or something. One family? Meaning yours, Marty, huh? Why not? I've got a three-month-old baby. What difference does that make? Is your baby any more precious than one of my kids? I never said that. Look, if you're going to argue about who deserves to live more than the next one... You shut your mouth, wife! Easy, Let go! That's the way it is when the foreigners come over here. Pushy, grabby, semi-Americans! Well, you garbage brain idiot! Marty, please. Come here, what's the matter with you? Stop it! Wait a minute. Oh, my dog, you're at the bottom of the list. Keep it up. We won't even need a bomb. You'll be able to slaughter each other. Marty. Marty. Marty, please. Go down to the shelter. Ask him, Marty. Please. I've already asked him. It won't do any good. Searchlights must be coming closer. Come on, Frank. Come on. Let's go and take a look. This is Conrad. Anything new on the radio? No. What are you doing out here? Doc's got himself locked in that shelter down there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going down there and get him to open up that door. I don't care what the rest of you think. That's the only thing left to do. Frank. Frank's right. Come on. Let's do it right now. No, wait a minute. Father, keep those kids in the kitchen. Bill. Bill, stop them. 
You've got a bunch of your neighbors outside who want to stay alive. Now you can open that door and talk to us and figure out with us how many can come in there. Or you can just keep on doing what you're doing and we'll bust our way in there. Bill, Bill, can you hear me? This is Jerry. They mean business out here. Why don't we get some kind of battering ram? Yeah, we could go over to Bennett Avenue. Phil Klein has some heavy pipe in his basement. I've seen it. No, no. That would get him into the act, too. And who cares about saving him? No, no. If we do that, we'd let all those people know that we have a shelter on our street. We'd have a whole mob to contend with, a whole bunch of strangers. Sure, what right have they got to come over here? This isn't their street. This isn't their shelter. Oh, this is our shelter, huh? And on the next street, that's another country. Patronize home industries. You idiots, you fools, you're insane, all of you. Maybe you don't want to live, Jerry. Maybe you don't care. I care. Believe me, I care. I want to see the morning sun come up, too. But you're acting like a mob, and a mob doesn't have any brains. You're proving it by what you're doing. I say, let's get that battering ram, and we'll tell Klein to keep his mouth shut as to why we want it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I agree with Jerry. We should stop and think a minute. Nobody, nobody cares what you think, you or your kind. I thought I made it clear upstairs. Yes, but I think that Jerry still has something. I think the first order of business is to get you out of here. Let's get that battering ram and break down that door. You've had your chance, Doctor. Remember that. You've had your chance. Those people are our neighbors, our friends, the people we've lived with and alongside for 20 years. Come on, Polly. We better get up some of this furniture in this bunk so we'll have some protection in case that door goes through. unidentified objects have now been definitely ascertained as being satellites. Repeat, there are no enemy missiles approaching. Repeat, there are no enemy missiles approaching. The objects have been identified as satellites. They are harmless and we are in no danger. The state of emergency has officially been called off. We are in no danger. 
Repeat, there is no enemy attack. Thank God. Thank God. Marty? My rocker. Well, you, you can understand that, can't you? I, I just went off my rocker. I didn't mean any of those things I said to you. Well, we were, we were all of us so scared, so confused. Well, it's no wonder, is it? I mean, you can understand why we all blew our tops a little. Oh, I don't think Marty's going to hold it against you, Frank. Just like I don't think Bill is going to hold off all this against us. We'll, we'll pay for the damages, Bill. We'll take up a collection right away. We'll have... We, we could have a block party tomorrow night or, or something. Uh, a big celebration. Huh? I think we rate one now. Hey, hey, that's a great idea, a block party. Anything to get back to normal, huh? Normal. I don't know. I don't know what normal is. I thought I did once. I don't anymore. I told you we'd pay for the damages, Bill. We... Damages? I wonder. I wonder if any one of us has any idea what those damages really are. Maybe one of them is finding out what we're really like when we're normal. The kind of people we are, just underneath the skin. I mean all of us. A lot of naked, wild animals who put such a price on staying alive that they'll claw their neighbors to death just for the privilege. We were spared a bomb tonight, but I wonder. I wonder if we weren't destroyed even without it. Are bomb shelters biblical? When we're called to be selfless and to love our neighbors as ourselves, it's a lot easier when you're not just trying to survive, right? When I look back, and this is a, a famous psychologist, Abraham Maslow, and love him or hate him, he's, he's not the definitive source for knowledge, obviously, but he brought a... a a framework that I thought was sort of interesting in describing a little bit of human nature and psychology. And basically the way he, he put forward is that for humans, you need to meet the bottom before you get to the top. You need physiological needs met, your air, water, food, shelter, safety needs, and so on before you can get to self-actualization. And I guess I like to think of it like it's not a perfect model by any means, and 
and it's been criticized, I think, appropriately. But when you talk about saying, I'm going to be selfless, I think it is something to say about doing it out of our wealth and comfort. We live in a, a very wealthy country. We live in a very, probably the most beautiful state in the country. And to say, like, I'm going to be selfless is, okay, pretty easy. Well, what happens when push comes to shove? And are we still building bomb shelters in our lives to take care of ourselves? When, when push comes to shove, I'm just going to make sure that my family's okay, and if the rest of the world goes, oh, well. And I don't quite know if that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 10, 17 to 31, he and the disciples were, were watching people place uh, their offering into a, a, a bowl. And he talks about this, and he's observing this. But here, this is the one, actually, I, I got to go back. He actually talks to a, a, a rich young ruler, you might recall. And the rich young ruler says, you know, he, he basically wants to be Jesus' follower. And he tells the rich young ruler, yeah, you did all those, the, the commandments, you did all these things. But he says to him, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the rich young ruler walks away sad because he couldn't do it. He couldn't be fully selfless. This is the one I was thinking about is he, he's with his disciples and he, this is in Mark chapter 12, verse 40 through 44 and everyone's putting money in their, their offering bowls and there's a lot people are putting in and then he points out this, this widow who puts two copper coins and he says, they gave out of all of their wealth but she out of her poverty put, put in everything, all she had to live on. This was the example he was teaching us that it's not out of our wealth and our comfort by which we are supposed to be selfless, but it's everything we have. It's how we live. And that's what this, this woman was demonstrating and illustrating so well for all of them. I think that's what it means to be selfless. See, there's a trap. I think on the left side, there's this trap where we say, Look, I work so that I can maximize my tithes and offerings to support the church. And there's absolutely nothing inherently wrong with that. But here's the trap, is that if you think that's all your work is about, that my role is I'm going to work this job, make money, so that I can give my tithes and offerings to the church so the church can do its good thing. I kind of look at that as, how do you take that and reconcile it with what Jesus had just taught us? What he was telling the rich young ruler and what he was telling his disciples about that widow who just dropped in two copper coins. He wants all. It's where your heart is. So the trap is, I work so that I can support the church or follow a selfless calling itself. Your whole life is worth more than your tithes and offerings. A friend of mine had reminded me about something that Mother Teresa had said. Um, we use one of her quotes quite often to do small things with great love. And this is a story that's told many times over of a woman who asked Mother Teresa about joining her ministry, going to Calcutta in India. And almost in, in a so, sort of the, the interpretation is maybe in a kind of romantic way because the woman was from uh, like, like a, a very wealthy country. 
In the same way, people would write to Mother Teresa about how can I support your ministry? Where can I send money for your ministry? And this is something very profound, and I think was God-inspired that, that Mother Teresa responded in this way. And she said, find your own Calcutta. Find the sick, the suffering, and the lonely right there where you are, in your own homes and in your own families, in your workplaces and in your schools. It's where you are. It's where you're living. It's where God has placed you is where he wants you to be selfless. This is not to say don't go on mission trips, but what she's saying is there's people all around you who need Christ. Where do you find this? Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. He says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. It's so easy for us to say like, oh, that's the church's role and I'm just going to take care of my family. But I think Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's, it's all in. I want your whole life. I don't just want your tithes. I don't want just your offerings. I don't just want your Sunday best. I want your life. This year, or uh, middle part of last year, someone had introduced me to this Japanese concept called ikigai. And I sort of wish that someone had shared this with me a while ago because it would, it would truly help me. And what, the way ikigai works is that it is the intersection of four things in your life to, to be at a place where you feel very fulfilled and your life has purpose. So I said, okay, you know. And it goes like this. It's the intersection of your passion, something that you love something that you're good at, something that the world needs or your calling and what you can get paid for. And where those four things intersect, the things that you love, the things you're good at, the, the things that the world needs and what you can get paid for is when you achieve this concept of ikigai. And they said, it's something that they, they find in a lot of centurions, people who live over 100 years old in the world. They found a lot of them in Okinawa. I was like, oh, my ancestors figured this thing out a long time ago. Well, let me translate this as a Christian. And as a Christian, if I were to translate ikigai, I would add this. That's the most important circle, right? Is God's calling for your life. And where God's calling for your life will intersect with your, with your passion, with what you love, what you're good at, and what you get paid for is when it flows. But it starts with this. And that's why we say, love God, love others, right? That's why it is what we live by here at KCF. And when you start with not that focus in mind, for me at Bank of Hawaii, I had a profession. It was innovation, it was corporate strategy. I ran some businesses there at the bank. And that's where I intersected. But you know what? Something was not right. It wasn't, it didn't feel like I had, it was fulfilling. I took care of my family. I built bomb shelters, so to speak. I took care and, you know, was able to raise Josh. And I have no regrets. It was fantastic. But I was building a bomb shelter. Where I'm going is really what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. 
is how, what would it look like to live your life to do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit? So I do nothing to build a bomb shelter in my life anymore. Rather, in humility, I value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That doesn't sound like a bomb shelter to me. And so then you have the intersection of that, and now you have a mission. And where I am today is trying to figure out, okay, so if I know what my calling then is, scripturally, and I know what my passion and what I love is, what am I good at and what can I get paid for? And that is shaping up. And I'd love to share with you when that all comes together. And I know God will do it. Because tomorrow, I believe, when you start with your purpose, which is God's purpose for your life, passion will follow. Passion follows purpose. I believe that God will reveal to you how he designed you at what you're good at. Dave, this is what you, how I designed you. This is, this is what you're going to be good at. Tammy just mentioned to me this week, we ran into a, uh, an old friend, Elijah, who just recently, he's an attorney. He recently went out on his own about a year and a half ago. And something Tam said, she's like, I got to talk to Elijah. Because Elijah was at a, at a corporate law firm. He's, he's, he's kind of a famous guy in the law circles, you know, especially here in, at, the, at the Richardson School of Law, for those of you who know him. But he told Tammy something interesting, which was when he, when he left out corporate law to get in, into a practice of his own, it's like his shape came about. It's like he was being squished down into a box. But then when he got out of that box, how God shaped him could fully be seen. And I thought, that is an awesome analogy to keep in my mind. God will show and reveal to you how he designed you and what you're good at. And your mission will then be your vocation. How awesome would that be if you went to work every day and you're like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where God wants me to be. This is how I'm making a living and I'm not building a bomb shelter, but I'm ministering to the world. Jesus. So I'm going to share with you something pretty personal. I told Tam, oh, this is going to get kind of personal, so we'll see how it goes. I'm going to share with you a little bit of what God's been doing with me since really around the week after Veterans Day last year. And this is what I call my why. And hopefully, my hope in sharing this with you is that it would encourage you in some way as well, in terms of this pursuit of selfless faith. On the trends, what I see is local businesses have no succession plan, meaning they don't know what they're going to do when they retire uh, and, and they're, they're, they're done working. So it's uncertain how they're going to change their business for the future because we know, and I, I live at the bank for 11 and a half years, and it's changing. The world is changing rapidly. We see it. We see the impact of the internet, the, you know, online, retail. The fact that Wisteria and Casey Driving is still not around, and Olive Garden is coming in, we should tell you the world is changing. There are probably more things I bought on Amazon today than I bought at CVS Long's. 
The fact that I got to say CVS long should tell you the world is changing. The fact that if I want to see a movie, we go to we go to Netflix. There is no such thing as blockbuster. The world is changing. These local businesses, you'll see, are forced to sell to national firms. You might remember there was a time there was Oceanic Cable. Then it became Time Warner. Then it's Spectrum. Some of you might remember there was Hawaiian Telecom that became Verizon, that became Hawaiian Telecom, Cincinnati Bell, and now is acquired by someone else. Outwigger Hotels is not owned by the Kelly family. The list goes on. It's happening. Some businesses who can't make that turn, who can't take it to that next level to change with the times, have no succession plan, we'll just close. That's why we don't have Wisteria. That's why we don't have Casey driving. Someone just told me, a good friend, that the Manju place in Maui is no longer around. I know on Kauai, although the, the chicken and the shrimp live on, Hanamalu Cafe is not there anymore. Times are changing. So Hawaii businesses have a risk of becoming an outpost to mainland-based firms. Higher-paying jobs will be lost forever because all that's remaining is going to be sort of like the front line. Children, if you have children that have gone to the mainland for school or something, they're going to have a hard time coming home because there's no jobs for them. For the last three years, Hawaii has an outward population decline. It doesn't end well. When the population declines and you're a consumer-based economy, your economy starts dying. You have an aging population and you don't have enough workers to support the aging population. And also, that hits my heart, is a part of our culture dies when these businesses close as well or get bought by a national firm. That's what's happening. That's my why. This is the stuff that re- like I've been wrestling with for a few years. And so what I wanted to share with you this morning is um, while I don't know exactly where this is going to lead, what I'm trying to do is follow God to keep businesses local. And to do this by transforming kingdom businesses but by building them upon biblical principles and trying to do it in a manner in which God has gifted me. I spent time in consulting and I have contacts that can raise private capital to do this, to help companies grow. And I've talked to Pastor Mark and Pastor Josh Hayashi about this as maybe even ways that there can be counseling, an emotional side of it that needs to be dealt with when you're talking to small business owners. Combine those three together, and that might be clarify of like, what does Dave bring to the table? And with Lord's help, it will work. And with the Lord's help, you can also make a living doing it. And that's just my personal example that I want to share with you to ask this question. And I, I would ask you to pray about this and really wrestle with this, okay? 
How will you make your career an offering unto the Lord? How will you make your career an offering unto the Lord? All of us are not going to become pastors, but we all can be ministers. How is it that what you do is going to be an act of selfless faith where you can say, God, you know, what is your calling for my life? And I'm going to step out in faith and just see where it goes and how you've gifted me. And my passion will follow once I see that intersect. And I'm going to trust in you, God, that you're going to take care of my family, that I can make a living doing this, that I don't have to build the bomb shelter first, but I'll step out in that selfless faith. See, on February 19th, it's my last day at Bank of Hawaii. Because I'm going to step out in selfless faith. Scary. I don't know where it's going to lead. But I do feel now is the time. My why. I'm going to do what I can to live for the Lord in that regard. No more bomb shelters. But selfless faith. I think that's how we give our lives and our careers as an offering unto the Lord. Is we live with deep selfless faith, which is not, as we said today, always easy to do when you're just trying to make ends meet. And the latest surveys, that studies we see is that 54% of us in Hawaii are spending as much or more than our income, which means we're just getting by. And in, that, in those moments, it's hard to be selfless. I get it. But I also think God's calling us to stand up, to live with selfless faith. You stand with me and with the closing song. Ask Nathan, thank you, Nathan, to, um, to ask the worship team to play this song um, uh, this Sunday. Hosanna, because there's a line in there where there's a new generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. And that is my prayer for all of us this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I I pray that um, your words, Lord, as you say, will never return empty. God, this was a personal message for me. It was, uh, timing is not a coincidence. Timing was ordained by you, Lord. So thank you for that honor and privilege to be able to speak this morning. Uh, Thank you for the logistics. Thank you for Brother Chris over there who got it all to work out amazingly well. And so I pray, Lord, that for everyone here this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to their hearts and just dwell deeply as good soil, Lord. Today's word would just grow deep roots that your people, your followers, would live with selfless faith, that we wouldn't compartmentalize you to a Sunday, to just giving of our tithes and offerings and say, we uh, check, we got church. No, that our lives would be dedicated to you and that you would wrestle with them, each person here this morning, to know how 
they are to make their career an offering unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.